This is lesson three, when life is the pits. On page 52 in our workbooks, our author says, oh, by the way, our author is listening to our lecture, so let's all say, hey, Mary. There you go. All right, on page 52, unchecked emotions can quickly lead to sinful behavior. No wonder the Bible repeatedly warns of the dangers of anger, jealousy, bitterness, and conflict. Anger doesn't always lead to murderous intentions, but if it remains unresolved, the inevitable manifestations will be a calloused heart and sinful actions. Let's pray together. Father, we need you. We need the truth of your word, and we need your spirit to teach us this morning. Our hearts and our minds are open to what you want to tell us. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. Okay. I want us to listen, actually just look at the emotions in this portion of Genesis that you've already read for today. So we're not going to reread the whole thing. I've highlighted these emotions. This is the story of Joseph as is found in Genesis 37. Look at what's in there. Loved, hated, loved, hated, hated, jealous. Okay, Lots of emotions in this passage of scripture that we looked at today. Have any of you had any of these emotions just within the last seven days since we met here last? Yeah, thank you for being honest. Back up a minute. This isn't new. Go to the first story of the first two siblings ever recorded in Scripture. You know who I'm talking about, Cain and Abel, right? Born to Adam and Eve. And this is what's in their encounter as recorded to us. This is, the way it's recorded, it's right after they're born. Well, they were able to walk and get out and stuff, so we know it wasn't exactly right after they were born. But it didn't take long. Genesis 4, look what happens here. Very angry, dejected, angry, dejected. And then look what it says. You will be, this is God talking to him, by the way. You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. And then Cain invites his brother out and proceeds to kill him. Okay, so that was right there at the beginning of Genesis. And then we have Joseph happening. Now, if we go forward a little bit, this isn't just within families. Go forward to King Saul and David. You might remember that story in 1 Samuel. All of these scripture references, by the way, are on your handout. And what do we see in this scripture passage? Well, actually, it starts out with joy. That's an emotion as well. Joy, um, and it's, it's expressed in a song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. And then what happens? Saul gets really mad. You see, angry. And he's jealous of David. And then what ends up happening is there's this progression. Saul becomes afraid that David's going to take his place in the people's hearts. And that then he's tormented by a jealous spirit. And then that turns into uncontrolled rage. And then Saul becomes paranoid of David the rest of the days of his life and seeks to do him harm. It consumed him is what happened there. Now, the problem, again, all the way back to Genesis. We could even go into the New Testament if we had time, but that was a slasher dasher right there with Jesus and the Pharisees. The same thing happened there. It's what led to his death, right? 
but we could take it all the way forward to this morning in this room. We deal with the same thing. So this is why I got stuck here in doing the lecture. So many questions were coming to my mind so quickly regarding emotions. Are these emotions we're having sins? Which then led me to another question of, look at God. Does God have emotions? And then what are we to do with our emotions? Mainly the bad ones, right? Jealousy, envy, anger. Is there a way to control our emotions? How do I not let my emotions control me, my attitude, my speech, my actions? It seems like being controlled by emotions comes more naturally than controlling emotions. More so for some of us maybe than others. But in general, does this seem to be true for you? You have to work at it if you don't want to act on your anger or act on your jealousy. All right, so I just want us to look at what God's word has to say in answer to these questions today. So this first question, are these emotions we're having sins? And I do want us to look straight to God to answer this question. Does God have emotions? So listen to these scriptures. Again, they're all on your handout. And when you hear the emotion, I want you to say it out loud, okay? So this first one. Psalm 7, 11, God is an honest judge. He is angry with the wicked every day. Anger. See, this is going to make us go faster. You're going to be happy you're doing this. Play along. The next one. Okay, so that first one is anger. The next one. For the Lord will give justice to his people and have compassion on his servants. Skipping down to the Mark 6. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them. Compassion. All right. The next one, uh, let's look at the Psalm 78 passage on this one. Oh, how often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved his heart in that dry wasteland. Matthew 26, going to the New Testament, he told them, Jesus talking, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Grief. Y'all were just being polite there and letting me finish the scripture. All right, let's move to the next one. First John, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Jeremiah 30, what? Love. love. And I know we could, we could discuss this. Is love an emotion or a commitment or et cetera? But it's okay. I know there's a deeper meaning. All right? Let's keep going. Love. How about this one? Uh, Psalm 5.5. 5. Therefore, the proud may not stand in your presence, for you hate all who do evil. So, hate. All right. Um, I'm going to read one more on that one. You're exactly right, but I'm going to come back to it. So let's look at the Proverbs 6 passage on this one too. There are six things the Lord hates. No, seven things he detests. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, a person who sows discord in a family. So hate, yes. All right, let's look at this next one. Um, Jeremiah thirty two forty one. I will find joy doing good for them and will faithfully and wholeheartedly replant them in this land. Joy. Let's look at the next one. Exodus 20. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. At jealous. Uh, I want to stop here and talk about this one just a minute because typically when we hear jealousy, we think negative or positive. Negative. Negative. 
So I just want to comment on this one before we keep going. God is a jealous God. Scripture is very clear on that, repetitively. He will not tolerate an undivided, a divided heart. And the reason why is not because of his pettiness, but because he knows that this will harm my relationship with him, and that is what I am created for. It is what is best for me. Jesus explains this in Matthew. He gives the example of money, but the principle is broader than that. In Matthew six twenty four, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. And then in James, we see the solution to this, to our divided heart. James 4, 8, come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Now, question for you. When I say she's emotional, sometimes we put the word just in there. She's just emotional. Is that negative or positive to you in your mind? How many say that's a negative connotation? Negative, okay. Negative. Even though there are a lot of positive emotions, right? I think, I think we've messed this word up in our minds. This phrase, you know, she's just emotional or she's emotional, it's often said as an excuse for our poor behavior, um, our wrong attitude or foul speech or wrong actions for our sin, Right? So this term, emotional or emotions, often carries with it wrongness. I don't think that's a word. Incorrectness. Um, And yet the truth is God is emotional, right? We just saw it. You just said out loud what scripture tells us about God's emotions. So we're mixed up somehow in our minds here, and we've got to get it right. So I see some major differences when I look at God's emotions and my emotions. Even though the emotion may carry the same label. Does that make sense? For example, there's a difference between my jealousy and God's jealousy. There's a difference between my anger and God's anger. It's just not matching up. If I look behind my anger, a lot of times I see pride or selfishness. Jealousy, when I look behind my jealousy... It's often coupled with envy and low self-esteem. Another major difference between me and God is I often then act on my emotion. I can be controlled by my emotions, which might not be so bad if I'm feeling joy, right? But can be really dangerous if I'm feeling hurt or if I'm angry. God, however, is never controlled by his emotions, ever. God is never controlled by his emotions. God's feelings and actions toward his creation are always consistent with who he is, and he doesn't change. So you see, his jealousy is motivated by his faithful, perfect love. His love is always perfect. His anger is righteous. His compassion and grief are both pure, as is every emotion God has. Put it another way, my emotions can sometimes cloud my judgment. Have you heard that phrase, cloud my judgment? This is never truth with God. Aren't you so thankful, right? 
This is never true with God. So all of God's emotions are rooted in his holy nature, and he expresses them sinlessly, consistently, every time. Okay? So what we know to be true about God is God is holy. That means without sin, absolute perfection, complete in every way for all eternity. We know God has emotions. We clearly see it in Scripture and in the walking word, in Jesus' life. We see his emotion. So we know this to be true. So then, you know, it's that if-then back from proving proofs in algebra, right? If God is holy, and he is, and God has emotions, and yes, he does, then emotions are not inherently sins. So then... You know, another good thing here is God created us to be. He created us in his image, right? We know that from Genesis. He is emotional, and he created us to be emotional. Aren't you glad? Imagine if you had no feelings. That's, that's terrible. All right, let's keep going. Yeah, let's keep going. All right. Um, it is terrible, though. Just think about it. For If you had no emotions. All right. So, God's emotions flow from his perfection. Mine, not so much. Why? Because I am not perfect. And newsflash, neither are you. (laughs) So, this is where our challenge comes from, right? With our emotions, right? When we just boil it down to it, this is the challenge. Is because we are not God. We are sinful. So, we still have to figure out how to do it, right? We know it's possible because God told Cain and Abel, when he, remember it was God who said, you got to master this, buddy, get it under control, or it's going to go bad for you. And he didn't, and it went bad for him. He killed his brother, and then was banished, right? So we know it's possible, or God wouldn't tell us to do it. So somehow we got to figure it out, and we're going to figure it out in 25 minutes. All righty. So that's all those next questions. What are we to do with our emotions, mainly the bad ones, quote, right? Like jealousy, envy, anger. Is there a way to control our emotions? How do I not let my emotions control me, my attitude, my speech, and my actions? Now, the obvious here, we don't want to just totally glaze over it, is don't deny them and don't bottle them up. That never works, no matter what the emotion is. Psalms is full of beautiful examples of the honesty of the psalmist and continually expressing his emotions. Psalm 1, the very first psalm, it only takes three words and you've hit an emotion. Oh, the joys. Psalm 2, the very next psalm, the question is asked, why are the nations so angry? Now, we don't have time to keep going through every psalm, but you get the point. The most, the most famous psalm is probably Psalm 23, the most often quoted psalm. The very first verse is about contentment. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. That's contentment. Job 7 is on your handout. We're not going to go over it this morning, but that's another example of a man honestly expressing his emotions to God. So the first way. Now, I'm going to tell you, I really write these lectures for me, and thanks for showing up. So that's why I come up with these words, because it helps me remember Um, And that's what I want to do as God teaches me, is I want to remember the lessons so he doesn't have to keep teaching me the same things, and I can move on. So on this one, I came up with 
all the same first letter, but also some action. So if you want to do them to remember, fine. And if you don't, it's okay. They can't see you on the tape they're listening to, so nobody knows, all right? Your neighbor's going to judge you if you don't do it, though, so whatever. All right, so the first one is recognize. You know that I'm looking at you? Yeah, recognize. Yeah, recognize. Recognize the effects of control. So let's look at emotional control first. I want us to consider the results of when we are controlled by our emotions. Does that make sense? So all of these scriptures, again, are on your handout. And I have highlighted the word on here so that we won't read every scripture. But look at what these say. All right? Recognize the effects of emotional control. We'll read the first one only. Psalm 37, 8. Stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm. Okay, let's look at these others. Proverbs 14, foolishness. Proverbs 14, light cancer. Proverbs 15, fights. Proverbs 27, cruel. Like a flood, dangerous. Okay, let's look at the next set on your handout. Job 5, destroys, kills. James 1, not righteousness, so unrighteousness. James 3, disorder, evil of every kind. James 4, quarrels, fights, scheme, kill, fight, wage war. Ecclesiastes, meaningless. Did anybody hear anything positive in any of those? No. And if you would have kept searching through scripture, you will not find a positive result from being controlled by your emotions. Did you know that? If you find it, I would like to know. O'Brien1211 at sbcglobal.net. You email it to me because I don't think it's in there. I've looked and searched. Look at what Proverbs 25 says. A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. Look at the picture. Take it in. A city with broken down walls. Totally exposed. Unsafe. Vulnerable. It's a terrible place to be. An awful way to live. So we do have a choice. We can opt for either emotion control or self-control. And I have to do that in quotes. And here's why. If we think about self-control at its very best, what we really mean is spirit-controlled. Okay? That's what self-control actually means. It's a fruit of the spirit. So as Christians, we have the Spirit of God living within us, just waiting for us to die to ourselves so that he can live through us. Does that make sense? When this happens, there is supernatural self-control available to us, and it is not something that we muster up. It actually flows out naturally. You know that scripture, Galatians 5, where all the fruit of the Spirit are listed? It says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, and one of them is self-control. Don't miss it, though, in that all-too-familiar verse that maybe you've memorized in the past. Who produces self-control? Not Rhonda, and not you. It's not us. It's very clear. Now, non-Christians can have self-control, right? Don't you know some non-Christians who exhibit self-control at times? I do. Um, but at 
best it can happen, it can be limited, it can come and go. What we have with the Holy Spirit living in us is immediate, consistent, eternal access to self-control. Do you see the difference? Okay, all right. The effects of self or spirit control are noticeably different than all those ones we just looked at in emotion control. So let's look at a few scriptures here. Again, on your handout, Proverbs 16, 32. Better to be patient than powerful. Better to have self-control than to conquer a city. That's living in victory when we live by the Spirit. 2 Peter 1, it's a really long passage, so we're just going to look at parts of it. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Would you agree with me that living by the Spirit, in spirit control, self-control, as opposed to being controlled by our emotions, is living a godly life? Then we've got everything we need. Okay? All right, keep going. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see this is more than information, right? This is transformation. I am more productive. I am more useful in my knowledge of Jesus because it is more than just knowledge, right? Romans 8 contrasts the two for us beautifully. Letting, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Boy, the choice seems pretty obvious, doesn't it? Well, how can I tell who or what is in control of me? Look at the results. You know, how's that working for you, right? So recognize, got it? Recognize the effects. Now the second one is resist. Resist complaining and comparing. So just put your stop sign hand out there. So the first one is recognize and the second one is resist. Look at um, why, you know, I picked these two because I can think of nothing that incites um, screams for uh, action and attention more than these two. Ecclesiastes 5, it is a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it, to enjoy your work and accept your lot in life. This is indeed a gift from God. God keeps such people so busy enjoying life that they take no time to brood over the past. Complaining, Philippians and Ephesians, look for the loophole in these verses, if you would. Do everything without complaining and arguing. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Loophole, anybody see a loophole? I do not. Everything and everything, okay? There's a great story here. i got to skip it. Resist, um, comparing, Second Corinthians 10. 10:12. Oh, oh, don't worry. We wouldn't dare say that we are as wonderful as these other men who tell you how important they are, but they are only comparing themselves with each other, using themselves as the standard of measurement. How ignorant. Wow. Okay. Well, he's pretty. Yeah, that says it. Ignorant. You know why? Because there will always be, always, there will always be someone with more. And then what does that produce in me? 
discontent, greed, envy, jealousy, bitterness, lust. And there will always be someone with less. What does that produce in me? Pride, boasting, haughtiness. There will always be someone better and there will always be someone worse. And it is always ignorant to compare ourselves with other people. So who, what do I compare myself with? Comparison isn't bad in itself, but here's what I should be comparing myself to. My life to his word, Psalm 119. Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees, then I will not be ashamed when I com compare my life with your commands. What else am I to compare myself to? It's a who. My life to his son. 2 Corinthians 3, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away, for the Lord is the Spirit. Wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. So instead of complaining and comparing, I am to celebrate with others. That's the scripture on your handout, Romans 12. So recognize the effects. Resist complaining and comparing and rehearse gratitude and contentment over and over and over again. Psalm 92.1, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to the Most High. The truth, is, the truth is proven in psychology all over the place. I'm talking on this topic in, I think, November in a few months to a couple hundred so singles. And so I've been compiling psychology studies on this. So I'm going to read these like they do on those commercials where they give you medicine and then tell you that you're going to die if you take it, <laughs> pretty much. So here is what gratitude does, okay? This is a compilation on all the studies. I can show them to you if you want to see them. Gratitude makes us happier, makes people like us, makes us healthier, boosts our career, strengthens our emotions, develops our personality, makes us more optimistic, reduces materialism, increases spiritualism, makes us less self-centered, increases self-esteem, improves your sleep, keeps you away from the doctor, lets you live longer, increases your energy level, makes you more likely to exercise, helps us bounce back, makes us feel good, makes our memories happier, reduces feelings of envy, helps us relax, makes you friendlier, helps your marriage, makes you look good, helps you make friends, deepens friendships, makes you a more effective manager, Helps you network, increases your goal achievement, increases your decision making, increases your productivity. There are benefits spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically, socially, even in a career to being a grateful person. Now, our gratitude as Christians has an object, a thankful to whom? Remember Psalm 92.1, it is good to give thanks to the Lord. James 1.17, these scriptures are on your handout there. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father. Look at 1 Corinthians 4. What do you have that God hasn't given you? Name one thing. You can't. Psalm 84. The Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. Isaiah 26. All we have accomplished even is really from, from you. Gratitude to God, yes. And then gratitude to God for others and to others. Philippians 1 and 1 Thessalonians 3. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. I thank my God every time I remember you. Are there these kind of people in your life? You should be thanking God for them and then expressing your gratitude to the people also. That's what's happening in these letters. All right. Okay, we'll skip that. Three quick quotes here. 
Ellie, I don't know if you've read any of his books. He's written several, probably um, Night is his most famous. He is a Holocaust survivor. He says, when a person doesn't have gratitude, something is missing in his or her humanity. A person can almost be defined by his or her attitude toward gratitude. This next quote is also from the same time period, but he did not survive the Holocaust. He was killed. He was a pastor. Excellent writer as well, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. In ordinary life, we hardly realize that we receive a great deal more than we give and that it is only with gratitude that life becomes rich. The last quote here from Ann Voskamp. She's a contemporary, current writer. Um, Probably her most famous book is 1,000 Gifts. The practice of giving thanks, Eucharistio, this is the way we practice the presence of God. Stay present to his presence, and it is always a practice of the eyes. We don't have to change what we see, only the way we see. There are two, it's actually on the flip side, you don't have to turn it over, but there are two book recommendations. One is Ann Voskamp's book, um, 1,000 Gifts, and the other is a book by Debbie Maycomer. God's guest list. And Debbie Maycomer is actually more known for her fiction, but this is one of her nonfiction books where she encourages us to be grateful for all kinds of people that God brings into our life. It's a wonderful read. I encourage you to read it. Well, how do I do this? Rehearse gratitude. How do I live a life of gratitude? If I want to live a life of gratitude, I must do it one day at a time. If I really want to live a life of gratitude, it's lived one day at a time. This is my favorite scripture. It's in my office two places and hangs above the door where we exit as we leave our home. Psalm 118.24, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. I am going to tell this story. So when I first came to understand this verse was 30 years ago. And as I would go to new countries for my job, I would always study that culture to learn as much as I could before I went to understand the people a little bit better. And as I I was preparing to go to Taiwan, I was reading up on gift giving in Taiwan. Now, Jan, if I had a a gift here for you today and I gave it to you, what would you do? Thank you very much. Yeah. And then what would you do? Probably give you a hug and open it up. And you open it up. And if there was any hesitancy, what would I do? Open it, Jan. Open it. You know what I'm saying there and watch you open it. And then you go, I love it. I know. I thought of you when I saw it. I bought two. One for me, one for you. Mine's a different color. This is what we do in America, right? It's exactly what we do. Okay, that is so rude if you do that in Taiwan. That is really rude. What you do is you accept the gift with two hands. And, oh, Shay Shay. Shay Shay. And you look at the gift and you look at the giver. Shay, shay. Shay, shay. You just look at it. You look at them and you do it for a while. And then you just set it to the side and you go on about your business. And then when you go get in the limo to leave, then you open the gift and then you do the write the thank you note. All the rest is the same. But here's the, here's the point. They actually get it. It's the thought that counts to them. It's to be grateful for the giver and the gift, before you know what it is, right? Before you know what it is. When I read, I have goosebumps, I had goosebumps when I typed this in my notes, and I have goosebumps right now. When I read that, and as I was studying to go to Taiwan, immediately this verse came to mind, and I got it. This is what this verse means. Notice the tense. This is the day the Lord has made. It's not... 
said at the end of the day, this was the day the Lord has made. Thank God it's over. Or I'll give it a 6 out of 10. No, look at the tense of the verse. This is the day the Lord has made. Look, noticing the acknowledgement of the source. The Lord has made this day. And then look at the decision. That's a decision of the will. We will rejoice and be glad in it before we know what the day holds. Because even when you wake up and you start thinking what your day holds, you really actually don't know what your day holds, right? You figured that out. None of us are that young in here, right? So that's what this verse means. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Before I know what God has for me in this day, I know God has this for me. And you know what? If during this day I don't have any more earth days, well, glory be to God even better. Then I get to see Jesus face to face in this day. Right? Right? Okay. Oh, boy. Okay. All righty. Let's skip it a little bit here. Oh, but I got to share this point. This is my favorite point. I'm sharing some favorite favorites today. This is by George Herbert. Thou hast given so much to me. Give me one more thing, a grateful heart. Not thankful when it pleases me as if thy blessings had spare days, but such a heart whose pulse may be thy praise. A heart whose pulse may be thy praise. I love that. The grateful heart doesn't wait to see what the day will bring. I will rejoice and be glad in it. It's a way of life, of looking to God. And on your handout, I didn't make PowerPoints on this part because it was a slasher dasher, but it's right there for you on references, with all the references of how do I do this, specific ways, with my words, with my daily decisions, by singing, by praying, and in community, one day at a time. Another, no matter what or who. Psalm 50, but giving thanks is a sacrifice that truly honors me. Psalm 116, I will offer you a sacrifice of thanksgiving. What about when I cannot find anything to be thankful for? Colossians 3 and 1 Thessalonians tell us to always be thankful and be thankful in all circumstances. Um, I wish I had time to tell you this story, but I don't. Um, so we'll keep going. She's my hero. She taught me this lesson. St. John of Avila says, One act of thanksgiving when things go wrong with us is worth a thousand things when things are agreeable to our inclinations. You see, when we're thankful, when it's not a necessarily good, easy, happy, joyful time in our life, that is a sacrifice of thanksgiving, and God welcomes that. All right, when I cannot think of anything to be thankful for, I can be thankful with my primary relationship with God. Psalm 95 is on your handout. I encourage you to read that. And notice in there, it's such a beautiful psalm, uh, verses 1 through 7. No circumstances are mentioned in the entire psalm because thankfulness, a grateful heart, can be independent of circumstances. I can always be thankful for God's character. Psalm 9-1, these are all on your handout. Psalm 92-2, unfailing love and faithfulness. First Chronicles, he is good, faithful love endures forever. Psalm 7, he is just. Psalm 138, unfailing love and faithfulness. Your promises are backed by all the honor of your name. Psalm 136, his faithful love endures forever. You want to know what the key to living a life of gratitude is? Star, Colossians 2, 7. 
Colossians 2.7. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. That's the key. It's all about him. It's nothing about me. It's nothing about you. It's all about him. Rehearse gratitude and rehearse contentment. Contentment is a central characteristic or truthful emotion of the Christian life. It involves perspective. 1 Timothy 6, 6 and 7 are on your handout there. As is 2 Peter 1, 3. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. And we read that scripture earlier. Our relationship with the Father through the Son gives us contentment for today and for all eternity. That's a gift. We can receive it, right? So we're going to recognize the effects. We're going to resist complaining and comparing. We're going to rehearse gratitude and contentment. And the last one, we're going to release forgiveness. The reference is on your handout. The first one there in Genesis chapter 33, that's when Esau and Jacob reunite. And it's very clear that there has already been forgiveness there on Esau's part towards Jacob. And then the other reference there, chapter 45, that's when Joseph and his, reveals himself to his brothers. It's very clear that Joseph has already forgiven his brothers. Both of these men released forgiveness, which led to freedom from the bitterness and anger and released the blessing of restored relationship. Now, I'm going to tell you that forgiveness doesn't always mean a restored relationship. Sometimes it shouldn't. It depends on the health of the relationship. But... Forgiveness is always freeing to the forgiver. Always, always, always freeing to the forgiver. I am to forgive because I am forgiven. That's the Colossians scripture on your handout, Colossians 3.13. I am to forgive like God forgives me. That's Ephesians 4.31. How does God forgive me? On your handout, Psalm 103. Completely, not harshly, not like what I deserve. Motivated by love, no grudges. That's how I'm to forgive because that's how he forgives me. God's forgiveness came at a cost, the highest cost. See that in the Ephesians 1 scripture right there, the blood of his son. Forgiveness is a process which must often be repeated, which is why Jesus tells Peter in Matthew 18 on your handout right there that he's got to forgive 70 times 7. Prayer is a great place to start in the forgiving process. We see that in the Matthew 5.44 scripture. And actions of blessings often follow. Get ready, because that's what's going to happen. And you'll see that in the First Peter 3, 8 through 9. I really do want to be more like God and let the Spirit control me instead of my emotions control me. So the bottom line, it's going to get harsher because I really sat going, well, what do I do with this, Lord? And I had to deal with it this week, and I did it. So here, you do it too. Deal with it now. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. No denial, no excuses. You're not just emotional. It's not an emotional time. It's not an emotional day. No excuses. Ask God, and he'll tell you the truth. Always, every time. Psalm 139. Pray that prayer. Deal with it. If it's grief, cry. Cry again. Cry some more. Get a friend. Cry with a friend. Deal with it. No time limit, by the way, or expiration on grief. Right? For those emotions that are sin for us or can lead to sin, we need to deal with those too. But if all we do is try to get rid of them, a lot of times they come back. Do you notice that? So you need to do more than just delete it. You need to replace it. 
Ephesians 4, we already read. This is another example from James 3, and you'll just start that one and go back and read it on your own. <laughs> Deal with it, delete it, and replace it, and then do it. And I could add just to this. Just do it. Psalm 119, I have refused to walk on any evil path so that I may remain obedient to your word. Do it in a love relationship with the Father. Psalms, again, excellent examples of honest prayers filled with emotion. Remember, you can't surprise God with your thoughts, your emotions. Nothing surprises him. With your words, with your actions, nothing surprises him. And he still loves you. Read Psalm 139, verses 1 through 6. My favorite man-made quote of all time. I've shared my favorite poem, my favorite scripture. This is my favorite man-made quote. This is J.I. Packard in Knowing God. I carry it in my Bible. There is tremendous relief in knowing that his love to me is utterly realistic, based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me, so that no discovery now can disillusion him about me in the way that I am so often disillusioned about myself and quench his determination to bless me. Isn't that beautiful? So, for the glory of God. Do it for the glory of God. That's why we should be doing everything. It's the sole purpose of man, for the glory of God. Scripture on your handout, Romans 6. To become like Jesus, 2 Corinthians. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, Romans 13 and Ephesians 5 and 1 Peter and Galatians. By transforming our minds and our attitudes. That's how it actually happens. Look at that on your handout there, Romans 8. Letting the Spirit control your mind. Uh, Romans 12, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Ephesians 4, just star that and you'll have to look at that on your own. But you have to know this is an active transformation, not some kind of brainwashing, although it actually is a washing of the brain. But here is our part. Philippians 4, 8. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. This is what I had to do this week, and I had to delete something from my life. Not that it was bad, which is why I don't want to tell you because I'm not trying to convict you of anything. It was bad for me. It was stirring up anger and frustration and sadness, and I... I'm writing this whole lesson for me. I already told you that. I already confessed that. So I had to do it. So I did it. Um, Isaiah 26. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you. All whose thoughts are fixed on you. And that's a promise from God right there. Perfect peace. A far cry from what happens when I allow my emotions to control me. We're created in the very image of God. Emotional. It's a way of life. And praise be to God who shows me through his word and his son and his spirit, his intentions for how I am to live this emotional life he has given me. Psalm 1611. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. So what? Now what? I'm going to confess to you. I wrote 13 questions for me, and this is the first time I didn't give them to y'all. And because I killed too many trees and I couldn't make the print any smaller on your handout, and it takes a whole other sheet to 
of my 13 questions that I had to ask myself that drove me to action this week. So you don't get them, but you can go back through the lecture and look at each one and ask yourself. So because this was kind of a hard, mean lecture, again, <laughs> Chris, I think we need to switch, switch times and see how Chris comes up here and talks to y'all so sweetly about your little emotions. <laughs> and then here's me, you know, change it, do it, no excuse. So a little levity because I know it's been kind of harsh. So what now what? How you doing, friends? How you doing? And you've got to ask yourself that question just like I did this week. We're five minutes over. Let's pray to God. Father, thank you for showing me the way to live here. Thank you for giving me the joy of your presence. Thank you for the pleasure of living with you today and forevermore. You are too good to me. I receive your grace and my heart is overwhelmed with gratitude. Thank you. I love you. Amen. All right.